We've been missing for five years. The last place anyone saw us was the Stanley Hotel. We walked out of the door, packed our car, and drove off. About two months later, our car was identified in a parking lot for the Lumpy Ridge Trail. It was a rental in Paul's company's name, so it didn't immediately get flagged. Just a regular car in a parking lot that nobody seemed to notice had been there a while. Police, DNR, park rangers, you name it, were out there looking for us. Due to the terrain of Rocky Mountain National Park, there was a lot of talk that we were probably eaten by animals, and that's why no one could ever find us. Or that in a fit of rage, one of us killed the other and then fled. But with no bodies, no one could really tell. It's not like this hotel needs another selling point, but let's go back to the beginning, and I'll tell you all about it. Colorado is a picturesque state, covered in sheer beauty that, nature enthusiasts or not, everyone enjoys. Mountains with a cinematic presence, transcending you to feel as though you're in another world. Rivers, waterfalls, and lakes. There is a reason Colorado is called the colorful state, home to two national parks, numerous national forests, and Bureau of Land Management land. There are endless places to get lost in nature. My husband Paul and I plan a trip to Colorado every year. We normally go over the summer, however, the spring might be a fun changeup. Because the state is so vast in dozens of mountain towns, we try to stay somewhere different every time. This trip, we're staying in Estes Park, just about an hour outside of Denver. The fun part about this trip is that we're staying in a haunted hotel. We don't really believe in all that mumbo jumbo, but with so many accounts, it's kind of hard not to be a little skeptical. I've taken the liberty to plan majority of our daytime activities, while Paul plans our evenings. Aside from a spa day, majority of what I planned is hiking or sightseeing. We always fly direct and have a rental car booked in advance. Pro tip, splurge on the four-wheel drive. You can thank me later. As we pull up to the Stanley, it takes my breath away. The builders couldn't have placed the hotel any better. It nestles right up to the face of a mountain. There's a light dusting of snow over the whole lot. The snow makes the white building look so clean and inviting. The red roof just peeking through, giving itself away. There are matching snow caps on the mountains with evergreen shrouding everything. Simply beautiful. Wood adorns the walls as the main staircase welcomes us in. It's nice and cozy in the lobby. Two fires are going in the sitting areas as people chat and laugh, enjoying themselves. I hope our room has a fireplace, but I bet it won't. We booked a superior room, giving us a living space and breakfast nook. It's perfect. When entering the room, the dismay is on my face as I realize that there is no fireplace, and it doesn't go unnoticed. Paul begins looking for something as I set my belongings down in a nice pile. I usually like to nap before unpacking, just to give myself a break. As I make myself comfortable on the bed, I notice the TV has a video of a fireplace, and I also notice a sly grin from Paul. I wake up to the feeling of my head being caressed. It feels nice. Paul doesn't normally try to disturb me while I'm sleeping, but there's no complaints here. I feel his weight shift off the bed, and I ask where he's going. There's no answer. I get up to see if he walked into the bathroom, but as I turn on the light, I realize I'm alone in our room. It didn't feel like a dream. It felt real. I turn out of the bathroom and scan the suite, 
just to make sure I am alone. As I'm looking, I see a piece of paper on the dresser. On it, it's Paul's handwriting. Downstairs, come find me. Love you. So, it couldn't have been Paul. I wander around the lobby of the hotel. Now, if I were Paul, where would I be? I pass the Cascade restaurant and know better. Maybe the bar? I keep walking around and then see a dark wooden room with a golden glow sweeping out. It looks so inviting. As I step in, my eyes first land on a bright backlit wall lined with bottles. I continue to look. The ceiling looks to be gold colored, burnished to give an aged look. Sitting at the bar looking at me is a familiar face and I give it a silly grin. It looks like Paul's drinking an old fashioned. I sit down and the bartender sets down a drink and Paul leans over, red rum punch, and he gives me a wink. We continue to drink, getting a bite to eat and then make it back to our room. It's been a great first night and we are excited to get some shut-eye after a long day. While it only says 9 p.m., to us it feels like 11. We turn the lights off and I'm quickly plummeted into a deep sleep. The feeling of hands in my hair. When I wake up, I feel refreshed. 6 a.m. Colorado time. I wake up Paul. Today's hiking day. I've chosen a trail close to the hotel. The change in altitude always gets us the first day we hike. We're going to do this morning hike and then have an afternoon in the spa. We pull up to the parking lot and there surprisingly isn't a single car. While it's a little weird, maybe we'll get to enjoy Jim Lake by ourselves. We follow the Lumpy Ridge Trailhead and then go east to Jim Lake. The walk is scenic, snow crunching under our feet with the sound of snow falling from the trees every now and again. After an hour and a half of hiking, we've made it to the end of our journey and now we get to enjoy the destination. The lake is frozen. As we get closer, we can see a trail that goes around and up the rocks that sit just behind the small lake. We hike up. As the only ones here, it'll be a stunning 360 degree view. We take it all the way in and have a snack. I still have some hot tea in my thermos. We sip it appreciatively allowing the warmth to spread throughout us. While coming back down the rocks, we notice an additional trail. It goes a bit further. Feeling up for it, we journey down, deciding that if we have to make any turns, we'll just turn around and not get lost. Let's see where this trail goes. We walk down for a while, maybe half a mile as we cross a large boulder. The trail dead ends. Why would a trail be to this rock? There has to be more to it. Paul and I circle around the boulder and find it has a slit. The slit's big enough for us to pass through, so we do. As we move through it, it's starting to close in. We've also been descending. The slit is leading into a cave. We stop to pull out our headlights and lanterns. We're lucky we ended up bringing them. This is such a cool experience. There's a super tight spot we have to shimmy through. It's awkward because we have to lower ourselves bit by bit down and it's slippery. I hear a grunt from Paul in front of me and the look of him slipping down. I call out to make sure he's okay, but there's no answer and I don't hear him. The only sounds I hear are the trickles and dripping of water. I continue down. He couldn't have fallen far. He was just in front of me. I begin to feel heavier. 
like I have to hold myself up to not slip. This has to be where Paul slipped. It feels like I'm being pulled down this slope. The more I resist, the harder it becomes, like there's a magnet and it's pulling me in. My arms are starting to ache. I know if I let go, I'm going to fall. I try to see if there's anything I can grab onto, a rock or a ledge or anything, but there's nothing. My hands are cramping and my arms can't hold out much longer. And I drop, but I don't hit anything. I'm free floating and there's swirls of blue and green. It starts to get brighter and brighter. Suddenly, it's a blinding white light. Then I'm shoved and hit something hard. I'm tumbling, not yet focused on what's changed around me. It's darker, but before I can tell, I crash onto a solid, flat surface. I look down at my hands and see hardwood underneath. My gaze begins to lift to see where I am, and I see stairs. They continue up and up, and before I know it, I'm looking at a staircase, the staircase in the Stanley. I'm surprisingly unhurt. As I raise myself standing, I look around. Not a single person has checked on how I am. In fact, no one's even looking at me. I'm about to get upset that people can be so cruel when I remember. I wasn't in the Stanley. I was in a cave. As I continue to look around, I see a man, and he's walking right towards me. Finally. But he doesn't slow down. His pace is smooth, looking just behind me. I'm about to say excuse me, but he runs right into me. No, right through me. As he passes through, he gives a shiver, noting how cold the hotel is. Behind him is Paul but he looks different, not as defined, translucent. I can see through him, and he's looking at me. He's thinking the same thing. We approach one another, questions on our faces. What is this? I stop to look around and see people all over the hotel, the same types of groups chatting and laughing in the lobby but as I look closer some don't look the same as others they're also translucent hovering blending into the crowds of people that don't seem to notice they're there I look up the stairs people are walking up and others are coming down a woman just appeared walking down the stairs she wasn't there before popping out of thin air the same translucent glow. We're staring at her. As she passes us, she says, First time? And looks at us. She's talking to us. Well, she continues, You'll love it here. It's not every day two souls get to vacation rather than haunt. Enjoy yourselves. I remember that day like it was yesterday. Seasons have passed and there's been no luck. We watch police and reporters come and go looking for us, screaming that we're right here, right in front of them. But they never noticed. 
Some of the older souls have tried to help us as they could, using their power to get attention of the living, but it always fails. We've tried to leave from the front door, stepping past the threshold, only to be stepping into the lobby as if coming from outside. Whatever we came from that dropped us into the hotel on the stairs will not let us back through. So we roam the halls, watching the guests come and go, just another story to them, the long lost hikers who never came back and were never found. Hey guys, it's Holly and Brittany, two sisters who take a deep dive into the history of the world's most haunted places and paranormal happenings. This is Sisterstitious and it's about to get spooky. Estes Park, Colorado is home to the Stanley Hotel, and while it is most famous for being the inspiration for Stephen King's Overlook Hotel from The Shining, it definitely is capable of holding its own in terms of creep factor. It is said that almost every room in the hotel has its own level of paranormal activity. The hotel is so charming, it's almost as if these many spirits that haunt the space enjoy being there. Listen along to hear why the hotel is also called the Disneyland for Ghosts. Since every good ghost story starts at the beginning, that is where we're going to begin. The Stanley Hotel is located in Estes Park, Colorado. Estes Park sits about 70 miles northwest of Denver and holds the headquarters for Rocky Mountain National Park. In the 1850s, Estes Park was home to the Arapahu Indians, in which they called the Circle. The Apaches and the Utes also used the area for resources from time to time. White men would visit the area for trapping, but the area wasn't actually founded by whites until 1859. Joel Estes and his son first came to Estes Park in search for gold, but gold and silver in this area was minimal to non-existent. Even with the lack of gold, Joel Estes moved his family into the area in hopes that if he continued searching, he would find some. Estes and his family lived in solitude for six years and decided to move out of the area in 1866 when he realized he wasn't going to score gold. The area was officially named Estes Park in 1864 by a man of the name William Byers, who was the owner of Rocky Mountain News and was friends with the Estes. The area was continued to be used as a means for hunting and making use of the variety of wildlife until Lord Dunraven bought a majority of the area and the land to use for his own private hunting preserve. Much to the dismay of local ranchers and farmers, by 1884, he had illegally claimed 15,000 acres of land in the Estes Village. Freeland Oscar Stanley and his twin Francis Stanley were born on June 1, 1849 in Kingfield, Maine. Education was a big deal in the family household, and by the age of nine, Freeland and Francis had already created their own business selling maple sugar. A couple of years later, they were taught how to make violins by their great uncle, Liberty Stanley. Freeland continued to make violins throughout his life, creating collector's items that are still around today. Both brothers went to school to become educators, and while Francis, his brother, decided to go down a different career path, Freeland eventually became headmaster of a high school in Mechanic Falls, Maine. 
This is where he met his wife, Laura, who was a teacher and a pianist at the school. They married in 1876. In 1881, things started getting complicated for Freeland when he was diagnosed with tuberculosis. In 1897, Francis, his brother, had built his first automobile, and Freeland was so inspired by his work that he decided to work along his brother to create the Stanley Motor Carriage Company. Between 1898 and 1899, they built and sold over 200 cars. And by 1906, the Stanley Steamer would set the world record for the fastest mile in an automobile. In 1903, Freeland's tuberculosis made a comeback, but this time it was considered life-threatening. The only cure was dry, fresh air, so he decided to head to Denver, Colorado. After his symptoms didn't improve, he made his way to Estes Park by recommendation from his doctor. He made a full recovery, but it was then that he decided he wanted to return every summer. He bought property to build a summer home, their lavish summer home, which he named Rockside, included all of the luxuries one could hope for. Freeland and Flora loved the area so much, they wanted to share the beauty of the mountains with as many people as possible, and also provide a place to recover for others who were suffering from tuberculosis. So Freeland decided to turn Estes Park into a resort town. In 1907, the construction of the hotel would begin. Originally, Stanley did not know what to name the hotel, and suggested to name it after Lord Dunraven, the man he purchased his land from. But that didn't go over well, since Dunraven acquired the land illegally, and many others opposed the name. Hence, the hotel was named after Freeland Stanley himself. Sitting on Wonderview Avenue, the Georgian Revival-inspired hotel opened in 1909, just two years after the building began. With the bright red roof, yellow cream siding, and the gorgeous view of the Rockies, it was a sight to behold. Many of the first guests who were set to arrive at the hotel got off their trains and were carried up the mountain in Stanley Steamer mountain wagons for a rugged 90-minute drive. The Stanley Hotel was one of the first hotels that was fully electric and included the Otis Elevator, operated using hydraulics. Freeland led the creation of the Fall River Hydro Plant, which also provided power to the entire city of Estes Park. The Stanley Hotel was designed to create natural airflow since it did not have cooling in the summer. When the main hotel was built, it was built with the wealthy in mind. It included a music room, which held a Steinway piano, a gift from Freeland to Flora, a writing room, which was primarily used by the women to write letters and correspond with one another during the day, a smoking lounge that was used by men to drink and smoke. Women were not allowed in this room, and a billiard room right next door. Women were allowed to enter this room, but only to watch the men. The hotel did not have heat, so it was only to be used during the summer months. The Stanley Manor, or the Lodge, as it is now called, was completed in 1910. It's a smaller version of the main hotel, but it included heat, which the main hotel did not. It is suggested that Stanley wanted to use this hotel for the winter months, but since Estes Park didn't attract visitors year-round, it followed the schedule of the main hotel and was only open for the warmer months. It was later used for just bachelors, as Freeland did not like the idea that single men were staying in the same building as women. Stanley continued to add different buildings for different uses, expanding the resort. He even added a pet cemetery to the property so that his workers had a place to bury their beloved pets. Flora, Stanley's wife, had been slowly losing her eyesight over the years until 1926 when she lost it completely. She was familiar with Estes Park. She and Freeland would continue to visit, but finally sold the hotel in 1930 to Roe Emery, who would hold ownership until 1947. 
Flora Stanley passed away in 1939 at their Colorado home from a stroke. Freeland did decide to return to Estes Park the summer after her death, but soon after returning to Newton, he died of heart failure in 1940. He was 91. Freeland Stanley contributed to Estes Park in more ways than just his hotel and electricity for the area. He also saw the importance of maintaining the natural beauty of the Rockies and helped with the creation of Rocky Mountain National Park. Since the hotel's funding was not where it once was when Stanley was in ownership, the hotel started going downhill. It wasn't until Stephen King decided to stay the night in 1974 that things would start to change. King was in the process of working on one of his novels, but was getting frustrated with the setting. It was suggested to him to try staying at the Stanley Hotel. King and his wife Tabitha arrived to check into room 217 on the last day of the summer season. The hotel was basically empty with many of the final guests checking out. King and his wife ate dinner in an empty dining room, with the silence and solitude making an impression. King walked the long, empty hallways of the hotel and later sat at the bar by himself, being served drinks by a bartender named Grady. When he went to bed that night, he dreamed that his son was running through all the corridors and was being chased by a fire hose. He then awoke in a full sweat, decided to light a cigarette and sit by the window. It was then that he had the entire bones of The Shining in his mind. His book was published in 1977 and became a roaring success. With the knowledge that the Stanley was the inspiration for the fictional Overlook Hotel, more and more guests started arriving, building the hotel's popularity. When you arrive at the Stanley Hotel today, the sprawling grounds with the Rockies towering over the red roof is still an impressive sight. But you won't just see one grand building, you will see many, as over the years there have been many renovations and additions to the property. The yellow colored siding has also been changed to white and in the main lobby of the hotel you can also find one of the original Stanley Steamer motor cars. There are a plethora of options for room and board, with standard rooms in the main hotel and lodge, a spire which includes a spa, has suites that include a full kitchen. If you are planning on staying in Estes Park for a prolonged visit, you also have the residences which are condo style rooms with full kitchens and private hot tubs. With many requests from the guests, the Stanley now has a full hedge maze and contains 1,600 to 2,000 alpine hedge bushes. There are also annual parties each year, such as the Shining Halloween Ball. But that's not all that's included in your stay. An interaction from a spirit might also be a part of your visit. The hotel has been called the Disneyland for ghosts, and every room in the hotel is said to have activity but there are a few special areas and rooms that are deemed more haunted than others. Underneath the hotel, there's an underground cave system that contains a high concentration of limestone and quartz. This is known to capture paranormal activity. This could be why this hotel has so many paranormal experiences along with the vortex. The vortex is known to be the portal for the ghosts who visit the hotel. Many guests have claimed that they feel extremely dizzy in this area, get super cold as if something just walked through them, and visions of Freeland and Flora Stanley waving at guests. The vortex is located on the second floor, west stairwell heading up to the third and fourth floors. While the first floor of the hotel does not contain any guest rooms, the activity in this area is just as common. Some guests have said that when they reached the registration desk, they were greeted by someone who looked to be from a completely different era, and only when a modern-day worker stepped in, the apparition disappeared. 
Many registration desk workers have been visited by Freeland Stanley. He has been seen just standing at the front desk observing his workers. The Otis elevator is also known to carry more than just human souls to their floors. The music room and parlor includes phantom piano playing on the original Steinway piano that many think is Flora Stanley. This piano playing is also accompanied by a strong floral scent of roses, even though there are no roses around. Roses were Flora's favorite flowers. Flora Stanley's upper body will also appear from the piano room peering out at guests. Another room on the main level of the hotel is the pinion room, which used to be the men's smoking room. Women were once not allowed in this room, and there have been a few women who entered only to feel like they are being shooed out, with the door slamming behind them. An old bar cabinet also sits in this room, and full-bodied apparitions are seen reflected in this mirror. Phantom smoke scents are also very common in this room. The McGregor Room, which hosts parties and events such as the Shining Halloween Ball, has trouble with its lighting. The lights will turn on and off on their own, People who have visited the room for events have claimed that in the middle of their party, the lights would just shut off, leaving guests completely in the dark. And the Whiskey Bar and Cascades Restaurant has many guests saying their glassware would slide across the table on their own and feelings of cold hands touching the wrists of diners while eating their, their meals. The second floor contains the most famous room of all, room 217. With this room being where Stephen King stayed when he came up with the plot for The Shining, and also where Jim Carrey stayed while filming Dumb and Dumber. The room has a wait list and it can take years for you to get a chance to sleep where Stephen King once slept, but this isn't the only thing that makes this room special. In 1911, a horrible storm came through the area and knocked the power out of the hotel. Backup gas lamps were being lit around the hotel for light. Unknowing that a small gas leak was coming from the dual light fixture in rooms 217, a housekeeper named Elizabeth Wilson walked into the room with a lit candle and it created a huge explosion, which sent her through the floor into the McGregor room. She did survive this, surprisingly, and made it out with just two broken ankles. Very upset by this incident and injury of one of his staff members, Freeland Stanley paid entirely for her medical bills. She continued to work at the hotel until her death. Her spirit is known to be very active in this room. She likes to unpack guests' suitcases and fold their clothes. Guests have claimed that they never unpack their bags, so when they return to the room, all of their clothes are unpacked and folded neatly in the dressers or lying on the bed. Some guests have even reported that when it's time for them to check out, their bags were completely packed, all the doing of Miss Wilson's ghost. Other guests have claimed to see a black hole expand on the floor near where the explosion sent Miss Wilson in 1911. Photos of this room usually have some sort of distortion in them, and a purple bar is commonly seen in the corner of photographs. The housekeeper's stairs on the second floor is known for the spirits of children running up and down the stairs. There is a particular group of spirit children that have claimed this area of the hotel. The children have made themselves known so frequently that certain staff have been able to tell the ages and names of some of the spirit children that frequent this staircase. The third floor rooms have an array of paranormal activity too, but the most common sighting is in the hallway. A residual spirit that has been seen in photographs as well as in person walks along the third floor hallway. He is known as the Pillsbury Doughboy of the third floor since his apparition is that of a larger individual. The fourth floor of the hotel is known to have the most activity and be the most haunted. 
Guest hearing kids singing nursery rhymes, giggling, laughing, and playing is the most common haunting reported to the hotel staff. Also, sightings of Lord Dunraven are frequent. His spirit has been known to pinch women's behinds. This became such a common occurrence with the housekeepers that at one point in time, only men would work on the fourth floor. Room 401 used to be the nanny's lounge when the hotel was first built, but surprisingly, this room is mostly haunted by Lord Dunraven. He is seen in or by the closet. Many of the guests who have seen his apparition describe him as being a tall, slender man who's balding, and when they see his portrait hanging outside of the McGregor room, they immediately recognize him to be the man from the closet. If you don't happen to experience Lord Dunraven's apparition, you most certainly will still have trouble with the closet door. It is reported that the door never stays shut. It has been investigated numerous times. The findings has shown that there's no logical reason for the door to open as frequently as it does. Lord Dunraven is also frequently seen peering out the window from room 407, and many guests have also claimed to see a spirit in the room as well. 1408 is reportedly the most haunted room in the hotel. Since the fourth floor was the nanny's quarters and where the children they looked after mostly stayed, reports of hearing giggling and running down the hallways at all hours of the night is common from this room. Sleepy guests have opened the door to see what all the commotion is about to find a completely silent, empty hallway. The sound of heels clicking on the floor has also been heard, even though the flooring has been carpet for many years. Feeling children in room 1408, tapping, and even sitting on guests have been reporting. Other guests have said that they also hear running and playing above them, but the fourth floor is the highest level of the main hotel. The manor house or lodge, as it is now called, is an exact replica of the main hotel, just to a smaller degree. Stories of paranormal happenings don't just take place in the main hotel. The manor has just as much activity. Visions of apparitions of people from a different era are seen walking up and down the staircases and phantom parties being held in the dining room and ballroom. The most haunted room in the lodge is 1302. You can apparently hear banging and walking from above the room but there's no other rooms above the third floor. There has also been many sightings of a white mass moving from the courtyard to an outside set of stairs and floating away. The concert hall has three main ghosts reported to haunt the building, Paul, Tim, and Lucy. Paul was a maintenance man at the hotel and he tragically died leaving a snow-packed parking lot. He was once big on time and his spirit can be heard telling workers to get out of the concert hall when it's getting late. Tim worked at the hotel and was a dance partner for older women. His ghost can be felt caressing hair, but many who have experiences have mentioned that there's a sinister feeling to the caressing. The last is the ghost of Lucy. There are many different stories of Lucy, but the main story is that she tried sneaking into the basement of the concert hall during a snowstorm and froze to death. Her spirit is known to be the most aggressive, pushing people into walls and leaving bruises and flailing objects at heads, etc. Many workers of the hotel claim they dread having to enter the concert hall and fear that something would come flailing at their head. The last area we will discuss is the pet cemetery. It has been moved to make room for a wedding pavilion, but it was created for staff at the hotel to bury their loved fur babies. It is said to have two ghosts that tend to make their appearance, but these aren't quite as scary. One is a golden retriever named Cassie, and the second is a fluffy white cat named Comanche. While the Stanley Hotel has many wonderful accommodations, 
boasts amazing views and gives their guests ample opportunities for entertainment, the main attraction that brings guests from all over the world is the chance to make contact with many spirits who are enjoying their time haunting the walls of this hotel. With so many stories holding similar accounts and details, it can even make the most skeptical become believers in things unknown. Not everyone who visits will get the chance to be acquainted with the spirit from the afterlife. But if you have plans to visit this hotel sometime in the future, I would consider not ruling out completely the chance to witness something otherworldly. Hey, Brittany. Hey, Holly. What's up? How you doing? Not much. Just hanging out on this glorious, beautiful Sunday. What about you? It is a beautiful Sunday. I'm sick, if you can't tell. Um, very nasally voice. So if you thought I found sounded off on this episode, you are right. It's okay. We we hope you get better soon, Holly. <laughs> Thank you. So um, for our new listeners who are out there, this is the part of the episode where we kind of talk through some things that maybe there was a lot of information on. We didn't want to draw it out throughout the scripted part of it. However, we also like to talk about things that we liked, ghosts that we liked, uh, maybe some conspiracy theories behind some things, just any extra bit of information that might not be entirely relevant to the full history of where we're talking about. So um, if you want to give us a five-star review because you like this information and you want to keep listening to us, it just helps other people find us and, um, you know, let them know that we produce some quality stuff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, we see that there are a good bit of you following along with us each week on the different streaming platforms. So yeah, if you're if you like listening to what you're hearing, you want us to keep recording. I mean, I know that you probably hear this from every podcasting account that you listen to. If you would like and you like us, please give us a five-star review. It means the world and thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right, Brittany. So this episode was really cool. I'm using the word cool again. I really want to stop using the word cool. This episode was fun because I have known about the Stanley Hotel for a long time. I'm sure you have too. But besides knowing that it was inspiration for the Overlook Hotel and The Shining, I really did not know that much about it. Like, I think I just thought that I didn't have to really know much about it just because it kind of just correlated with The Shining so much in my life. So doing this research was a lot of fun, and I mean, there was a lot. (laughs) So I'm sure that if you have heard about the Stanley Hotels, heard about the Stanley Hotels history, and we didn't include some things, I'm sure there's plenty of that, but we just included what we felt was the most important. And something that I thought was really interesting was the story of Lucy, who is the resident ghost in the concert hall. Something interesting about her that I had heard before we started writing the scripts and recording the script was that that there was a possibility that Lucy actually never existed. Like the ghost of Lucy was never a real person. Yeah, and I heard this from the Historically Haunted podcast. And just like she said, it was really hard for her to find any information on it. But um, apparently, and I don't know if this is true, so if if we have listeners that have been to the Stanley Hotel recently or listeners that have, 
you know, done a ghost tour recently at the Stanley Hotel. If we're wrong, you can let us know. But apparently they don't share about Lucy anymore just because there were some issues with, you know, ever, ever finding out if she was like a real person and if she really ever died in the hotel. And so they decided to stop sharing stories about her, which created her, it caused her ghost to kind of stop haunting the space and, um, you know, stop, stop doing what she does. And so what many believe Lucy was, and I have known about this for a while, but I didn't feel like any of her haunting kind of classified as this, uh, Lucy would be considered a agrigor, which is kind of an energy infused haunting. So something that a haunting of a, of a being or something that never existed and it's just our energy and our thoughts creating it. And there's been, you know, several hauntings, several big hauntings too, where paranormal investigators kind of came up with the result that this isn't actually a real being. This is an agrigore. If enough people believe it to be true, a false entity can be formed. And since there's so much limestone and quartz around the area which is said to create and attract more paranormal energy, which is something that we did talk about earlier in the podcast, which is why they feel like there is so much paranormal activity in the Stanley Hotel. This could totally make sense that this entire entity was just made up. And like I said, this goes along with 100% since they stopped telling her story she no longer like her ghost is not making any appearances and what all the things that she does, because I've heard several different um, stories about her ghost. Some say that she's completely harmless. Some say that she is a little bit more aggressive and she like throws things at people in that's what I in heard. her space. So I'm not really sure what's true, but Lucy just may not exist anymore if you do end up going to the hotel. Well, I have a question about that. Yeah. If she possibly didn't exist, how do they know what her name is? That's a good question. That's a really good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, her story just could have started and because they were giving ghost tours for so long and it involving her in these stories that agrigores can say names like you ask them what their name is like they can come up with names like I mean they can pretty much be anything that we want them to be so it's even said that like a lot of hauntings might even be linked to like the fact that we're all just thinking up this energy and so it's existing which could be what's happening at the Stanley like some of these hauntings might not even exist but because so many people believe it it's manifesting and it's becoming true that's a really cool theory. Yeah, I know that um, you had some interesting things. Um, you had a you had a theory that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, so um, I was wondering about it because it had come up once during what researching, and it's called the stone theory, I believe. Um, so I d- looked a little into it because. Going through this, we mentioned that the Driscoll Hotel was built over an underground water source, and then the Lint Brewery is also 
over a cave. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the caves underneath this hotel have a large deposit of the limestone and quartz that you talked about. So I was, I was like, that's just, there just has to be something about that. And it is. So limestone is one of the main ways that caves are made. Water runs through them and it erodes the lime. Um, my husband's an ecologist, so he was <laughs> telling me all about it when I asked him. Very cool. Um, However, the theory of, or the stone theory, is essentially that these rocks and, like, limestone and quartz are more able to absorb energy, and then it essentially creates, like, a memory bank, and that's where the um, auditory phenomenon of hauntings, which is, like, Footsteps, knocking, voices, music comes from. Hmm. And then there's the appearance of lights, smells, objects moving. Um, And the reason that it says that some of the stuff that hauntings include these feelings is one of the best ways they can talk about is how animals pick up on it before humans do. Hmm. And I think it's because they don't have that... um, They're more in tune with nature Mm -hmm. than humans are because of the way that we've progressed. So, yeah, they don't have that like doubt or that initial like thinking right. that that can't be real. So, it also has to do with. I'm reading an article, I'm looking at the article right now. It says paranormal research community has adopted many hypotheses suggesting paranormal activity is influenced by geological features such as faults, magnetism, and geomagnetism, and uh, limestone, magnite, and quartz. And we can link the article um, for our listeners if they want to read this. And it also has to do with something called place memory. And it's the information can be stored by environment and retrieved through extrasensory perception. So I know that was a lot of science, like right off the bat, but I do think it's really neat that a lot of these hauntings occur where there's heavy deposits of these uh, rocks and stones. Mm. Yeah, it would be interesting to know um, if most of the more haunted places have a substantial larger amount of like limestone or quartz underneath or surrounding their locations. Just oh, because they do. They're, in the article, it actually, um, in the methods and relevant data section, they show a map of the United States with the limestone, limestone and quartz um, deposits in the earth. And then, you know, there's a big one in Texas. There's a big one in Utah. There's a big one in um, New York. So it's just really cool that the places that we have, you know, researched, it, it physically shows it on the map. Yeah, that is super cool. It's really, really interesting. And it just makes you think, you know, mm-hmm. how real all of this is, or if it just has some kind of residual energy that kind of keeps like memory there too. So even if it's not necessarily like actual ghosts that are haunting, it's still like the playback playback of like what happened year years and years and years ago, which I think is just as interesting, mm-hmm. you know, like as a actual haunting. Um, Cause I know that there's a lot of people that go to the Stanley that actually almost like experience going back in time. Like, there were stories where guests would, like, walk up the staircase, and then, like, suddenly everything was silent. 
and then they would like somebody that somebody from a different era from like the 20th century would like pass by them and they'd be like what that's weird is somebody dressed up and then they'd go downstairs and everything was different like nobody would be around it would just be a completely different environment and then they'd kind of like reset back into the present day so I don't know I wish a lot more research was done on like done about that because that's so cool to think about and it'd be interesting like through the years to see like if any knowledge has grown from that if anybody studies it you know oh definitely um so another interesting thing that I thought was cool (laughs) god (laughs) another thing that I thought was intriguing I don't even think it's intriguing. I'm just trying to, guys, I'm sorry. Um, All right, is that, and you might know this if you've been to the Stanley Hotel, but for those of you that have not been there, um, that majority of the wood in the main hotel, um, so the lobby and the staircase, and I don't necessarily know where all it is because I have not been to the Stanley, but it is fake. It's not real. And it's gorgeous. If you look at the photos of the Stanley online um, or anywhere else, I mean, it's just beautiful. They did such a good job, but they put the fake wood in because Stephen King was not super happy with the movie production of The Shining that came out in 1980, and he really wanted to have a bigger role when the TV series came out in 1997, I believe. So they actually shot the TV series at The Shining, at The Shining, at The, at the Stanley, because that's where he really wanted, um, that's where he wanted the setting to take place. So... The Stanley Hotel originally had just, like, white walls because that's what Flora liked. Flora liked bright and light, but it did not seem, like, foreboding enough. So they asked the hotel if they could paint the plaster on the wall to look like wood, and it was done by such good professionals that you cannot tell unless you touch it. And the studio can paint it back whenever the hotel wants, but the hotel has uh, not asked. So I guess they like it. I guess it just kind of fits with the hotel. So I thought that was super cool. Interesting. Intriguing. (laughs) All my words. So while I was uh, looking at pictures of the Stanley Hotel, the main staircase kept reminding me of something. And then as I started to kind of get a visual tour of the hotel, the area that's left of the staircase where it's like a mailer's desk um, or maybe where they kept the keys really did remind me of um, something. And it I finally got it, and it's Luigi's Mansion on, uh, you know, I played on the Switch, but it looked just like it. And so I looked it up, and, you know, these games, especially horror I understand Luigi's Mansion is not really a horror game, are based off of real life, um, or I guess, horror stories. Um, so it they did incorporate pieces from the Overlook Hotel in The Shining, which, you know, was the inspiration from when Stephen King stayed at the Stanley So it was just kind of neat to see that pop culture reference of the Stanley Hotel manifest itself in a video game and how all those kind of things connect. And I recently 
When I was first looking it up, I read that the ghosts in the hotel don't like vacuums, and I thought that was kind of funny. And so that was also something that jogged my brain about Luigi's Mansion. If you've never played it, you are Luigi, and you have a vacuum strapped to your back, and you go through the hotel and you suck up ghosts. But it's not the same thing as Ghostbusters. The creators of Luigi's Mansion really wanted it to be known that that idea didn't come from the Ghostbusters. Um, And then there's also vortexes that you can go through. So it's neat to see that and then the vortex in the Stanley. I don't know if they have anything to do with one another, but it was a cool pop culture moment. Yeah, that does sound really cool. So um, for some reason, we're having a bit of some technical difficulties with um, this portion of the episode, and I've lost my sister on the other side. So this is where we're going to end the episode. Um, But next week, we are going to head towards Utah and do something completely different than we've done for our previous episodes. So I'm super excited. I just want to thank you all for listening and we will see you guys next week. Thanks. Bye. This episode was produced, written and edited by Holly Daniel and Brittany Murray. Cover art by Ben May. We want to thank you for listening to this production of Sister Stitious.